The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 14th chapter. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side of the Sea of Galilee while he dismissed the crowds. And after Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, Jesus came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered Jesus, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when Peter noticed the strong wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught Peter, saying to him, You of little faith, why do you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped Jesus, saying, Truly you are the Son of God, the Gospel of the Lord. It's a good thing that one of my fears isn't fear of heights. This, is, this has a little bit of give to it sometimes. No pressure, Alvin. <laughs> you know, I, installations are always wonderful days, and it's a, it's a wonderful thing to be here with you all today because we're, we're celebrating the beginning of a journey. I remember when I was installed at St. John's in Lexington, South Carolina, which is the congreg- congregation I served before coming to work with the Synod, that Pastor Mel Amundsen, who did my installation, who was our assistant to the bishop since, oh, probably when Jesus was installed somewhere, (laughs) he said, now, and I'm going to change this, this isn't my story, now, one day Pastor Alvin is going to make you all happy. Some of you he's going to make happy because he's gotten here and he's here. Some of you he's going to make happy by the way he's your pastor, And one day he will complete the joy of some people in this congregation who are only happy when he leaves. (laughs) It's, uh, you know, on on the one hand, you know, on these these happy occasions, we, we don't always like to think about the times when we aren't going to be happy, those times when we're going to disagree and have conflict. But, you know, isn't that the truth of any community? In any person in our life has an unlimited opportunity to disappoint us. Any of us who have been married or have children or who have ever had a friend know that this is the truth. And, and the truth is that Pastor Amundsen was right. I did make some people happy by going there, and I did make some people who, happy while I was there, and some people, it seemed, would only be happy when I was gone. And so I was happy to complete their joy at that point. But relationships... Relationships are messy. Relationships are difficult. And in, in any relationship, we, we find that, that ability that, the, that we have and that other people have to, to do things that build us up and tear us down. You know, right now, as we think about, you know, our world in relationship to itself, we see some really messy things, right? We see some storms brewing in North Korea. We see storms in our relationship with Russia, you know. And, and as somebody who grew up in the 1980s, I'm kind of used to having storms with Russia. You know, we, we have storms all over the place as we see things in our world that are just so far beyond our control. 
that we don't know what to do with it. You know, we, we see storms in our nation, and I'm going to acknowledge the fact that there are Republicans and Democrats in just a minute, so don't get antsy. But, you know, we, we see storms in our political system where people don't get along, right? Where we have people who are on one side or the other saying, my side is right, and that other side is stupid. And, and we all have a tendency to do that. It doesn't matter what side of the political aisle we stand on. We're, we are convinced a lot of times that my side is the correct side, right? And it's hard for us to find a place where we can stand together, especially right now, where it seems that we are so divided and we are so at odds that sometimes it's hard for children and parents to have conversations without arguing about politics, right? And, and I think in church, we just have to name the truth of that. We see some of this playing out in Charlottesville, Virginia, don't we? We see, we see people who are protesting and it's always interesting to me to see people carrying the flags of nations that the United States has defeated as symbols of triumph. You know, the Nazi flag is one of them that I saw flown. And I can't believe in 2017 that I have to see this, that we have to hear some of the things that they're saying. Because that's not even political. You know, that moves beyond politics, and that moves into that fear and that racism and that bigotry that if we're all being honest... We all hold some of that in our hearts, not because there are certain groups of people we don't like, but because as human beings, we tend to be tribal. You know, we, we gather here on Sunday morning in the Lutheran church, and we celebrate the, the gift that we receive through the, through the church that sprung up through the faithfulness of Martin Luther, right? Martin Luther, who stood against the Catholic church because they were selling tickets to heaven. Martin Luther, who stood against the Pope who was getting those indulgences to build big temples in Rome. Martin Luther, who stood against the powers. And hear that word I'm using, against, against, against. We define ourselves as Lutherans over and against those things that we stand in front of. We often define ourselves as Lutherans by the conflict we engage in. Is it any wonder that there's about 7 million Lutheran denominations out there when, when we began in this conflict? And... You know, I see the storms in our nation. I see the storms in our, in our county. We see the storms in our city. We see the storms in our synod. And, you know, I, I see these things that are beyond my control and those things I can imagine I can control. And when I really... And this is how I know I need a vacation. When I, when I just can't stop worrying about these things... When I, when I just can't stop getting drug into conflict, when I just can't stop my heart from beating faster out of fear and anxiety, first of all, I do need a vacation when that happens. But second of all, it's a reminder to us that we're not in control. We're, we're, not, we're not in charge of this. We're not in charge of the world. We're not in charge of the government, even though we claim we are, and on Facebook we can act like we are, right? You know, we're not in charge of what our children do. or we're, We can't even necessarily be in charge of what we can do. Remember what Paul wrote several weeks back, the good that I would do, I do not, but the thing that I don't, would not, that's the thing that I do? You know, Paul's saying, I know what the right thing is, but I can't even do that right when I know what it is and I want to do it. We, we find that in the midst of the, the brokenness and storms of our lives that we really don't have the power that we thought we had. The power that, quite frankly, we spend a lot of our lives trying to insulate us from that truth, right? And there are lots of things that we like to use to insulate us from our powerlessness. 
you know, we use our jobs or our vocations to do that. You know, I'm a pastor. Obviously, God loves pastors. What bad could happen to me, right? Or, you know, or we use our, we use our money to insulate us because nothing says we aren't responsible for the environment like air conditioning that reminds us that it's nice and cool out here, but in Charleston or, or in Irmo where I live, all you have to do is walk outside for three minutes and remember that air conditioning only goes so far. You know, we, we, we buy our nice houses and we have our nice bank accounts and we, we have our nice cars and we surround ourselves with things that we can control. But it doesn't take the, just a split second for us to realize and remember that we do not have power when somebody stops short in front of us and we can't stop our car. And all of a sudden it goes from being the thing we drove here to the thing we watch being towed away. Or, you know, I remember just a couple days ago, I saw a picture of my nephew, Austin, on Facebook. And my brother had taken a picture of him sitting next to a hole that his head had put in the wall because he slipped on a blanket. And they weren't quite fast enough to get him. And they only took the picture after they made sure he was okay. You know, they didn't snap the picture and then go get him. But... But, you know, the powerlessness that you feel when you realize you're just not fast enough to catch your child. The, the fear and anxiety that comes from that. It only takes a split second when a diagnosis comes back the wrong way and all of a sudden you hear that somebody you love has cancer or that you were diagnosed with a heart problem or, you know, all of a sudden you, you had a job but the electric corporations that were in charge of the nuclear facility didn't do the right thing and all of a sudden 5,000 people are out of work. You know, all of a sudden we realize our vulnerabilities so quickly and so strongly. The disciples were experienced fishermen. You know, they weren't people probably who scared easily on the water. They'd been at it long enough to respect the water, respect the equipment, respect the the power that the water could have and know the limits of what they were able to do. And when a storm comes along that scares a fisherman, you know that's something that you should be afraid of, right? The disciples were scared. And this is, this is the J.J. Abrams or Michael Bay moment, right? The, the moment where you hear that, that bass note that rattles the subwoofers in the theater so that you can remember that this is Dolby DTX digital surround sound. This is the moment where where if you, were, if, you were, if you did theater like what I did in high school, you know, you'd have the person with the big sheet of tin shaking it to get the thunder. You know, it's the moment where the, where the lights, light, lighting effect people really enjoy because they get to flip the lights on and off really quickly and there's a little bit of pleasure you get because Dad always tells us not to do that. You know, it's, it's the moment where the, the scene has been set to raise the highest anxiety and to draw us into the edge of our seats and what the disciples see is the shadowed figure with the lighting behind them as, as he begins to walk forward. And they see the nimbus of light just diffusing around, around him and they say it must be a ghost. Because in the midst of our fear, what our brain co- creates isn't angels. But it's obviously the demons who are coming after us, right? It's obviously more of those things that we are scared of because we are no longer engaging that part of our brain that thinks. We're now engaging that part of our brain that feels. And in the world that I've been describing, where, where we have conflict and wars and rumors of wars and storms and all those things, doesn't it kind of feel like we have been a people, a country, a world, 
where we've been using this feeling part of our brain for an awful long time, and the people who want to stir that up have been really successful, haven't they? Then the picture resolves, and we see the truth. I think this is really interesting because the truth is something different than what we expect. The, the truth isn't that the demons are coming to get us. The truth is that God is coming to us. And we hear the voice speak, and it says, do not be afraid. And we plead with our God, invite us to come out. And so we come out, and we realize another truth, that we can't walk on water. Peter should have known this, you know. But we also see the truth that God reaches out his hand, and Jesus pulls Peter back out of the water. We see another truth, that when we're in the presence of our Creator... All those things that distract us from the one who is in control fade away. The wind dies down. The water calms. The boat stills. The moon comes out, and you have this beautiful panoramic shot, all of us, right? You know, and we, we see the stillness that comes when we're in the presence of our Creator. And what we realize in this is a couple of things. One... We're, we're all kind of people who need that, who expect God to come in that big action because God's God. You know, God is the God of Genesis 1 who is speaking things into existence. Let there be light and there's light and let the waters be separated from the waters and the land and the sea are created. God is the God who looks over all things and says it is good and operates on this cosmic level. And what is more cosmic And what is more intimidating and what makes you feel smaller than seeing the grandness and vastness of creation laid out before you, the power of storms, the power of a wind that can cut through mountains, the power of an earthquake that can shake the ground underneath your feet, something that Charleston has some experience with. You know, the the power of the thunder that feels like it's going to deafen you. But where we find God so often in the scriptures is not in that Genesis 1, J.J. Abrams, Michael Bay kind of moment. But we we find God most present with us in in Genesis 2, when God is forming the man with his hands out of clay, where God is breathing the breath of life into his lungs, where, where God is speaking to the man that it's not good for you to be alone, let's find you a partner. And finally, after creating all the animals and looking for someone that is suitable, but the man isn't, isn't satisfied yet, then God plucks the rib and creates for Adam a partner who at last is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones. The place where we see God most clearly is not in the explosion and the massive creative force or destructive force, but it's when we are calm enough to hear that crushed silence that drowns out everything around us so that we focus only on the presence and power and, and majesty of being in the presence of God. It's hard for me to find these places because I am, I am an extrovert. And there's a, there's a personality test called the Myers-Briggs and, you know, it tests your extrovert versus introvert. And, like, I am a big, bold, underlined, italicized, capital E on that scale. If you leave me in here by myself, I'll talk to the wall, I promise you. You know, and, and so when it... I have, a, I have a buddy of mine who's, who's Catholic, and he has this prayer closet. 
and, and he's describing it when he, when he moved into his house and he was putting it together and he said, I have my icons up here and my candle here and I have my Bible here and my rosary here and every morning I get up and I go and I spend 30 or 45 minutes in silence and I light the candle and turn out the lights and I kneel down and I pray and I pray and I pray and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, you're describing my definition of hell because <laughs> this is not how I find God. You know, the places where I'm able to encounter God, where I'm able to encounter this presence, you know, I, when, I, when I'm not yelling at the drivers around me, which I also am good at doing, you know, I, I find that space where I can pray because my hands are busy or when I'm doing yard work or, you know, when I'm, when I'm doing something that doesn't necessarily require a lot of thinking to do, but it can keep my hands moving so that extroverted nature that's within me can finally find enough stillness for God to be present. You know, I, I find that space for God and, and those times when finally I have to give up and realize that I'm not in control. Because in, in those times of emergency, you know, my, my other half takes over and I can, I can be calm in the midst of an emergency. But it's not until after it that I fall apart and I realize that I don't have any power. So the, the whole point of this for me thinking about the power and the powerlessness, thinking about the conflict and the goodness of relationship, thinking about the things that we cannot control and the things that we can control, and thinking about looking for God in those big signs, but finding God in those quiet spaces, is that as a church, as a people, as individuals, we are called to create those spaces around us where our noise, our noise ceases so that we can hear the, the vibrant silence in which God is present. And, and for those of us who find ourselves really busy, doesn't this become more important? And, and for those of us who are living excited and anxious and eager to see what it is that Pastor Alvin is going to do with this congregation, you know, the, the tendency is, all right, the pastor's here. Now we can do things, and now we can be busy, and now we can, we can make all this joyful noise for Jesus so that everyone else can see, you know, we have a great pastor, we have a great congregation. But I also think that our call is not only to do those things, which are good, but our call is also to make space so that we can ask the question, what is it that God is calling us to do together? Who is it that God is calling us to be for the sake of the world that God loves? How is it that God is calling us to be in the community, to create that space of calm, to create that space of crushed silence where the Spirit of God can be seen to be present? And once we've taken that time of quiet, figuring out what is God calling us to do about it. So... You know, I always feel like I need to end sermons by, by telling people, here's something that you can do, right? So here's something that you can do. And this, this really is my challenge. How is it that, that you as God's people are going to make that space to ask that question, what is God calling us to do? Not our expectations, not our hopes for what this congregation can be, you know, not the things that we have in our minds that our congregation should be, but what's the purpose that God has for us? 
and to make space to listen so that we can come up with the answer for what is God calling us to do about it. Because I tell you, God has a purpose for this congregation. And in a world that is in conflict and in turmoil, the purpose for this congregation is needed because people are hungering and thirsting to hear the gospel that the kingdom of God is near. That God has a plan. That God has created us with a purpose and for a purpose. That where God is, we do not have to be tossed about by the waters and the winds. But where God is, there is stillness so that we can rely on God's presence in a way that we might not necessarily always believe is possible. But when we experience it, we know there is, that, that this is the truth. So pray about these questions. What is God calling us to do? What are we going to do about it? And know that I am excited and praying for you all as you figure out what those things are and as you do that, knowing that God is here and that God is faithful, and that this is a people who are ready to listen. Amen.